Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. And today, Robert, we're going to talk a little bit about Mary McLeod Bethune, who, of course, is now uh, honored at Statuary Hall uh, in, in Washington, D.C., in the Capitol. That statue was unveiled uh, June of 20, uh, excuse me, July of 2022, uh, and she was the first African-American, I believe, in Statuary Hall. I think some other states might be planning to, to add some, or at least uh, the first one from a southern state, as far as I know. So really great accomplishment for Florida, and I have to give Governor Rick Scott and the legislature at the time that designated we have term limits in Florida, so virtually no one who is in the, in the House then is in the House now. And, and obviously, some of those House members are in the Senate, but many of the senators are gone uh, because this was in 2018 that, that Governor Scott, uh, responding to, to controversy, responding to the kind of the, the move against uh, 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 Confederate statues, did this, which kind of bucked many in his own party in doing it, uh, interestingly enough. And maybe we'll start on, uh, on that uh that point, because uh, Edmund Kirby Smith was honored by Florida and Statuary Hall. That went back to the segregationist legislatures and, and the Jeffersonian Democratic Party, uh, for lack of a better term, in Florida. But in 2018, with all the outcry over Confederate statues, uh, and with it becoming fairly partisan around the country, uh, to his credit, Governor Rick Scott said, okay, we have a a distinguished Floridian in Mary McLeod Bethune, who we're going to get into her legacy in a minute. But but let, maybe let's start on the statue controversy. And uh, she became a a uh, a consensus pick for both Republicans and Democrats in this state. And it, what's so interesting is that um, she's really the antithesis of uh, the the previous occupant of of her spot in the you know the the historic call in in Congress, uh, because she did so much, not only to um, really uh, fight for all women to have the vote, she did so much for the temperance movement, but she became the uh, foremost advocate for education of African Americans in the South and then nationally by the time she died. So you, you have this one symbol, which is really of, um, you know, the, the sort of old South states rights oppression. And then you have this other individual who, um, you know, her statue is much more quiet, much more composed. She uh, is sporting her cane, which apparently she didn't actually need. But she said uh, that she would wear it or use it because it gave her swag um, or swank, she would say. Uh, and, you know, she, she's just sitting there very reposed and, and quiet and patient. And it's really just sort of capturing her idea of reform in inches of slowly pushing her entire race, her entire generation, her entire gender forward uh, from the era where she was born, where she lived, which was not very friendly to women who thought or women who wanted to be something outside of the home, to where we live now, where you have a female African-American vice president who was there when the statue was unveiled, who is currently president of the Senate. So it's a, it's a great um, you know reversal of fortune 
for not only the two uh, subjects of these statues, but the two main core narratives that they represent. Yeah, and so she was a suffragist, she was an educator, she was a philanthropist, she was an activist, and, and she became a very politically important figure, or politically connected figure also, and in fact, I believe in addition to uh, being the first African-American honored at Statuary Hall, or African-American woman honored at Statuary Hall, she may be the first, uh, she may have been the first African-American period with a statue in Washington, D.C., which was unveiled in 1974 in, in, in Lincoln Park in Washington. Uh, yes, I'm correct. It was the first monument honoring an African-American or a woman, either, uh, to be installed in a public park in the District of Columbia. So that that's incredible in 1974. She was uh, inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in the inaugural class in 1973 when the National Women's Hall of Fame was founded. Uh, friendly with uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, among others. I'm jumping around here. So let's let's actually get back to her to her beginnings, which was she moved to Florida, to Palatka, in 1899 with her husband, who left the family in 1907. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune never got a divorce, so that's why uh, her, her, her last name remained Bethune. Uh, and um, her husband passed away several years later. But she stayed in Florida, and she started, obviously, famously started the university, which is now known as Bethune-Cookman University, obviously, (laughs) the name Bethune, for a reason. And she was able to get, and this is amazing for an African-American, let alone a woman in this era, she was able to get the likes of a Ransom Olds, right, of Oldsmobile, uh, uh, Thomas White, uh, James Gamble, a Procter & Gamble, and then Booker T. Washington, get the likes of these men to... Uh, gain partic- to, 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 to participate in her uh, building of this university and in the in, in the governance of, of this university, which was obviously one of the great historic uh, black universities in uh, historic African American universities in the state of Florida and in the South. And you know, it's what's so funny about um, <clears throat> uh, about her and and her story is if you look at the you know, the statues that are made uh, on uh, her likeness, or if you look at, uh, you know, images or or even some film reels, you either get the sense that she was this sort of austere matron woman, or, um, you know, that she was just this, um, you know, sort of elder, uh, you know, uh, stately um, educator. But um, the the reality is, and, and this is why I think it, it's so vital to not only read history, but to, to dig a little bit deeper in these characters, is that one, the reason why she was able to attract the attention and the support from these kind of men was one, she was a, I mean, incredibly hysterical woman. She had a, not only a brilliant mind, but she had a great sense of humor. She was incredibly fun to be around. She was had an infectious laugh. She was an incredibly smart but funny, liked to make practical jokes, which is why Eleanor liked her so much. But she lost her husband early, and, you know, he, he abandoned them. And so she had to rely on herself. And so she became a totally reliant self 
determined, independent human being. And that was one of the reasons why she became a suffragette, one of the reasons why she was against, um, you know, drinking and why she was so powerful in the temperance movement. But she was able to sort of cultivate in her personality this sweet, fun, feminine quality. But when she needed to for her agenda or to make a movement on a project she was working in, she could be as masculine and as resilient and as ruthless as any of these bands that you mentioned. And so it's it's interesting because uh, her portraits and all of these things, they only tell one side of her. There's so much going on behind that stare that, you know, every single portrait has that stare where she's slowly smiling at you and you just see her head on. There's so much going on inside her. She's so calculating, so resourceful. It's um, it's really an astonishing, not only American journey, but just so much upheaval that this human being had to come into and had to expose herself to and, and what she triumphed and who knows if any of it would have been possible if her husband hadn't have left she might have very well have been happy to just be you know with her family but him leaving sort of thrust her into this crucible of public affairs and education and um it, it's really quite amazing so Bethune College was a uh, all women's school, all girls' school that merged with Cookman College in 1931. Uh, this merger was facilitated by the Methodist Church in in the Daytona Beach area. So then you had one united African American college university in Daytona Beach in in that part of of Central Florida. And because of her celebrity and because of who she was, she was able to get uh, all sorts of. Uh, um, people involved, including the likes of Marian Anderson, etc., in, in the university. And at the same time, she was one of the leaders of the informal black cabinet that Eleanor Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt had. Uh, she's actually the person who can't coin the name black candidate, uh, cabinet, but it included um, several other uh, key uh, African-American officials uh, that were either in the bureaucracy, albeit in kind of lower level positions, because that was the, um, unfortunately, the, the segregation of the time, or private sector uh, African-Americans. But it was basically people who were kind of low level African-American bureaucrats who had um, been connected to Eleanor Roosevelt through Mary McLeod Bethune, who, of course, as we mentioned, had a great relationship. Uh, I know uh, historically it, they like like to say it, it's uh, with the Roosevelts, right? But really was with Eleanor, who was the champion, great champion of uh, civil rights and, and women's suffrage, previous uh, champion of women's suffrage like Mary McLeod Bethune had been prior to 1919 and all of those sorts of things. So she had an incredible influence in getting African-Americans a seat at the table, uh, f facilitating that through her relationship with Eleanor Roosevelt. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we went on the air, but, you know, this was a very difficult tightrope for FDR. He didn't want to, you know, frustrate uh, the, the Southern Democrats that were a big core of his winning coalition. But at the same time, his um, 
his desire was for equality. And so in situations like that, when he could not uh, give full-throated support or encouragement, he would rely on not only his wife, but the members of the Black Cabinet to be able to go to their counterparts and say, you know, trust us. This is this is a way forward. It's slow. It's excruciating. We know it. It's frustrating. This is the 1930s, the early 40s. We're making progress. Um, it's not the kind of progress that we desire, that we should get, that we're entitled to, but it is progress. And um, it's frustrating to say it, but it also... Um, not only gave a lot of these struggling minority groups um, encouragement, but it also gave the president political cover. Yes, that was an important part of it. In fact, gave him more uh, 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 political cover in 1939 when, excuse me, in 1936, when she was uh, appointed the first African-American female division head of any division within the federal government, a agency head or part of the uh, a head of, of department in, in the agency, which was the WPA, which was a New Deal agency, the Works Progress Administration. So that was a, a trailblazer uh, status for, for her as well. Uh, as we mentioned, she was part of the, 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 the black cabinet, one of the leaders of it. And in fact, uh, was the only African American woman that was involved in the the initial delegation, the foundation of the United Nations, which is really a huge, huge deal when you think about it historically. Obviously, Ralph Bunch, who was African American, was um, was a leader of that of that uh, American delegation, but she was the only African American woman in 1945 that was part of this. No, I'm absolutely, and um, I think um, in hindsight, um, I, I some of her uh, probably her politics and some of her um, real and impressive lobbying efforts have kind of overshadowed in recent years her academic career. Yeah, which um, and and even her writing, which um, you know her output is is quite impressive as well. But um, I'm, I'm glad to see that she's starting to get um, once I, I shouldn't say starting to get because she's she's always always been uh, recognized and acclaimed. But um, but I'm, I'm glad to see that it's more widespread now that she's she's really taking her rightful place as one of the great Floridians. And um, really, you know, it, it's somebody that um, due to the standards of the time really could have remained hidden, could have been one of these hidden figures of history. But uh, through her own perseverance and her determination, she now remains a a great guiding light for uh, a whole new generation of activists of every race, of every gender. And um, I, I think that's one of the great powers of history is that history gives you strength. And she's one of these figures that is there through her gaze, giving you strength and encourage, encouragement to go on. And uh, as I said, it's a great American story. 
It absolutely is. So just to wrap up here, I should mention that that United Nations Charter uh, uh, delegation that Mary McLeod Bethune was part of was the charter meeting in San Francisco. Now, the United Nations was eventually uh, founded in the United Nations built nations building built uh, with uh, the help of Robert Moses, uh, the titan of New York City and, and state uh, building. Uh, it, but the actual charter conference happened in San Francisco, not in New York. So she was part of that. 1949, she was... Uh, acclaimed as the first lady of Negro America by Ebony Magazine, which of course is an African-American magazine. Then obviously uh, 1954 Brown v. Board of Education uh, uh, happens, the decision is made, and she is able to to write eloquently a defense of the Supreme Court and this uh, momentous decision made by the Supreme Court, which really changed America. She passes uh, away a year later from a heart attack but um, the honors just kept coming. There are schools named after her all over the country, including four um, schools in Florida, but not counting the university she founded, right? Uh, there's a uh, there's obviously a uh, an uh, elementary school in, in three counties. There's a, a high school in one county. And then there's, of course, um, uh, the university. And there are... Uh, honors and statues of her all over. She was honored uh, with a U.S. postage stamp in the 1980s. Uh, she's been uh, uh, declared uh, by uh, Ebony Magazine, again, the African-American publication, as one of the 50 most important African-Americans in American history. Uh, the uh, National Park Service acquired her, her home in uh, in Washington. Of course, she, she split her time between Daytona Beach and Washington. Uh, we of course, like to think of her as being a Daytona Beach resident as Floridians, which she was, um, but she was so active in all these other things. She had to maintain a, a separate residence in Washington, D.C., and that, that's that been acquired by the National Park Service. And then uh, subsequently, um, obviously, we've talked about uh, what's happened in the state of Florida. And um, um, 2004, there were a number of historic uh, markers designated for her in her neighborhood in Daytona Beach. And then obviously culminating, Robert, as we talked about, 2018, the Florida legislature in a rare piece of consensus in this era where statues and honoring uh, historic figures has become so polarizing. Republicans and Democrats alike said this is a great Floridian. This is the person we want to honor with our designation and statuary hall. And that statue, as you mentioned, uh, with the vice president of the United States, who's also an African-American, the current vice president of the United States, who's an African-American woman looking on was designated, was placed in Statuary Hall uh, just a few months ago, July of, of 2002. And uh, and yes, again, I, I do want to uh, claim the bipartisanship. It was Rick Scott who really made this happen, really helped to make this happen. And uh, I'm not sure if, quite frankly, I don't want to get too political here. I'm not quite, I'm not sure if other Republicans would have got, would other Republican leaders in Florida would have done the same. So uh, credit to Senator Scott or then Governor Scott for this. And thank you for listening to this Florida History Podcast on one of the truly great, uh, momentous, historic Floridians of all time. We'll be back with you next week.